back. Five. Still kicking. We're still kicking. This is for all the haters. <laughs> all the haters out there. <laughs> I've made it uh, a an intentional point. It's your personal mission. To address the haters every episode. It's very religious for you, I think. It's political and religious. Yeah. Um, all of that nonsense out of the way. Uh, I'm very excited for this week's episode. Yeah. We get to talk to a good friend of both of ours, a friend Emma. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about refugees today. The refugee resettlement program. Specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a good conversation. Yeah. So if you've ever wondered about that or you have questions or, um... Or if you know all the answers already. Yeah. And you're uh, just fact checking You're fact checking us. <laughs> Thank you. You're probably one of the haters and this is for you. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's really great. So Emma um, is a good friend of both of ours, as I mentioned. She works with a refugee resettlement agency mm-hmm. and has for a few years now. Um, and so just has a really good up-close look at yeah. Um, yeah, how this is affecting our country and some of the things that are important for all of us to know. And so I uh, hope you really enjoy today's conversation. I think it was, I really enjoyed um, recording it and hearing, learning more and hearing her perspective. And yeah, so thanks for tuning in as always. Mm-hmm. All right, but before we get into the conversation, it's what you've all been waiting for. I'm on the edge of my seat. The McManus movie corner. There it is. You're thinking, the haters especially, are thinking, <laughs> what movie is it going to be? It's Finding Nemo. Finding Dory. No, it's not Finding Dory. Um, the movie this week is a really fun movie, also a very poignant movie, and it's it came out in 2018, a couple years ago, called Black Klansman, mm-hmm. directed by Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, I think you said, you mentioned to me it was his first Oscar nomination? Uh, I don't know if it was his first nomination. I, I, I'm pretty positive it was his first win. First time he won an for, Oscar. For uh, Adapted Screenplay. Adapted screenplay. They had a whole bunch of nominations, though, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie um, stars Adam Driver and um, is it John David Washington, Paul David Washington, John David Washington, John David Washington, yeah. who is Denzel Washington's son. Yes. So yeah. Denzel Washington's son is the mm-hmm. lead, and he's incredible. He's a really great actor. Yeah. Um, and so basically, this movie, if you haven't seen it, um, the general plot line is, and this is based on a true story. Yeah. That, this is the great. We should have waited until the end to tell them. I should. By the yeah. way, this is all true. Well, <laughs> pretend you heard this at the end, but uh, it's based on a true story of a uh, a police officer mm-hmm. who infiltrates. This is in the 1970s. Yeah. He infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan. He's an African American police African-American, officer. African American. Yeah, that's in important. Colorado Springs. That's important to add. Yeah. So. <laughs> African-American police officer who, um, him and Adam Driver, it's like a buddy cop film in a way where they, Adam Driver is playing the persona and he plays this KKK member on the phone. Yeah, the voice. The voice. Uh And so they're hustling the KKK to get information from them and investigate them. Try and stop the, uh, because there's some. The spread of the hate. Things happening. Yeah. yeah. Cross burnings and yeah, Yeah. violent you know, incidents are happening. So mm-hmm. it's this uh, true story, and um, the guy that um, you know, the, the lead, the main character, is still alive today. You know, I've heard some interviews. Ron Stallworth. Yeah. Ron Stallworth yeah, yeah, is yeah. his name. So yeah. So y- during the movie, you get to watch him 
Um, I mean, it's just fascinating seeing, you know, the KKK activity and his activity within it, but just the way that he relates with these people and the, I mean, it's just, it's bonkers. Like it's one of those things where you're watching it. You just can't believe you're both like, you're really stressed out because you're like, this is crazy. Someone's going to get like really hurt or something from this. But then it's all, it's just like, it's, it's mesmerizing just watching this, watching how effectively they fool this organization that likes to think that they're smarter and more superior than yeah. anyone else. Uh, yeah, but um, it th- this this film, uh, I I appreciated the comedy that it brought. Oh yeah, um, it's hilarious. To something that's that's pretty uh, dark. Yeah. <laughs> in its subject matter, when you're mm-hmm. when you're dealing with like the first terrorist organization in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and and a still lasting one, it's it's hard to really find something bright from that. Yeah. Um, but it is it is really funny. First off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah the dramatic irony is incredible. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah. Just really well made movie. Really well paced. Funny. Mm-hmm. It does. It has you on the edge of your seat at different points. Yeah. It makes a lot of really. Um, like very hard hitting points about race today. I mean, the story it's telling in the past is also very much reflecting on the future and the politics of race. Yeah. And- well, and and I think one of the uncomfortable realities that it points to is that those of us who don't encounter and deal with uh, racial issues every day um, often just aren't aware. Yeah. that it's something that people are still working through. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's very much hammered home in this film is that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the main character the character played uh by john david washington mm-hmm. um is often dismissed not because they think he's he's lying or something like that but just because uh the the white uh fellow police officers don't deal with the same difficulties yeah. and disadvantages that he does yeah um and i think that's something that's especially true uh today mm-hmm. uh when we're living in an era where, where it's very common to hear that we're in a post-racial era or yeah. that, that, you know, we're past racism. Um, mm-hmm. when I think that we couldn't be further from the truth there. Uh, yeah, this, this film, um, it's a really good reminder of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, and even the way that it, um, politically reflects on the disadvantages and the way it really puts you in the shoes of someone who is, really i mean this the protagonist um he is so like clever and he's so above and beyond you know his mm-hmm. his role sure. and he's really working hard to serve the people around him yeah even i mean both of the protagonists as well adam yeah. driver's character also yeah. yeah they're both yeah incredible um both who i i should add is a, a jewish police officer um yeah which just kind yeah. of adds another level of uh of irony to him playing a, a Ku Klux Klan member. Yeah. But, yeah. And then you have um, Topher Grace plays uh-huh. um, David Duke. Yes. Who is yeah. at that point, who is, you know, still alive today and yeah. actively. <laughs> Very prominent figure. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, was the president of the KKK and he even comes in at a few key moments that mm-hmm. are both terrifying and hilarious. And real. And real. Yeah. And that's the other thing is, so I'm actually generally... Pretty, I'm usually pretty skeptical of movies that are based on true stories because mm-hmm. I feel like I really enjoy the movie and then I, I will always look up how much of this was real and usually I'm really disappointed. It's like, oh, sure. it was all made up or none of this really happened. You know, it was all embellished. And so after this movie, I was like, that was too insane to be true. Like all of those events happening in that order. And I looked it up and 
it they do a very good job of telling. I mean, yeah. obviously it's a film, so you have to put you know have sure. to put events oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in an order uh-huh. that's going to make sense. But I mean, the vast majority of things you see happen on screen that are so movie worthy and so cinematic like actually happen. Um, and so yeah, I think the way that it reflects on the politics of the day, and you even get to see not only, okay, how are the police dealing with this? Mm-hmm. How is the community responding to this? How is the KKK operating? You mm-hmm. get to see an inside look at that. You also get to see um, various movements um, for black liberation that are happening yeah. um, for and seeking justice, and even how the main character who you know, is a police officer, how he is wrestling with that and his own identity. And so I think the story it tells um, both politically and culturally and and the story it reflects on a past story that then brings light to our present i think yeah. it's just i mean spike lee he knocked it out of the park with oh this absolutely one. yeah undoubtedly. Um, so high recommend if you've not seen it before it's 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 a great movie definitely heavy subject matter um but sure. handled yeah. as we already mentioned handled in a way that is funny but also really makes you think and leaves you you know thinking and and hopefully just you know i think the reason we watch movies and the reason that it's important to engage in art is that it hopefully extends compassion in us so it gives Mm. us it helps us understand life from someone else's perspective and so i think this movie is does an excellent job of that so very well said yeah um so i guess i have to give it a rating so what scale? yeah yeah uh so uh, out of a scale from one to five spike lees how many (laughs) how many spike lees would you give this film um <laughs> wow i would give it i would say four four and a half spike lees i would give it four spike lees four yeah. out of five spike lees yeah so nine okay. out of ten spike lees if we were to if we're, okay okay that's pretty good 4.5 yeah 4.8 4. <laughs> do, do you want me to make it out of 10 spike lees yeah that okay so out of me. 10 spike lees okay eight <laughs> eight eight out of 10 spike lees it's good okay. you should see it that's that is what... <laughs> good that's that's a pretty positive recommendation yes awesome Great. yeah well, well this has been the Amanda's movie corner uh we're excited to continue this and look at some other you know fun segments we might yeah. add in the future but for mm-hmm. now uh we hope you enjoy this conversation with emma and uh yeah thanks again for tuning in thank you All right, welcome to the show, Emma Jones. What's up? Hey guys, where are you calling from? I am calling from very rural Missouri. I'm currently riding out the queen parents' house to alone in my apartment. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I'm very excited to have you on the show and talk about. Um, yeah, refugees today. Yeah, we'll a good. fun political and religious issue. Crazy. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear your thoughts and we can just have a fun conversation about, you know, refugees and what that looks like. So you, uh, I just want to start. Always a fun conversation. Always a fun conversation. <laughs> uh, never, never uh, brings any controversy to the dinner table whatsoever. Um, well, we can't talk not about at it. all why are we, why are we that's the point oh that's okay. what the haters want <laughs> you got me you got me okay so um but yeah so you work with refugees as a, a full-time career and that's pretty awesome um and Thank you. so yeah i'm curious to hear a little bit about um first off just kind of your a little bit of your origin story so like 
you had a unique upbringing and that I think in some ways influences what you do now for uh, a living and what you do, you know, full time. So I'm curious if you could share with us a little bit about, yeah, what your upbringing was like and how that has kind of led you to where you are today. Um, so I grew up overseas. My parents were missionaries in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. So by the time I was um, two years old, we were living cross-culturally and we were in a lot of different countries, but we were mostly settled in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and I would say that that's helped me in my career because I am bilingual. I do speak French. Um, and a lot of the refugees that we resettle are from the Democratic Republic of Congo. So they're also francophones. So it's helped me in my career, um, logistically speaking, but also um, not to compare myself to a refugee in any way, shape or form, but I do understand what it's like to be a stranger in a strange place. Um, I understand what it's like to look different than everyone around you, um, to not understand the language or the culture. Um, I was, taken in by people from this other culture and I was treated with kindness and with patience um, and with a lot of compassion and a lot of grace mm -hmm. and I can happily say that um, Cote d'Ivoire still feels like home to me 22 years later and so I kind of want to give that that sense of home and that feeling of of acceptance and of family to other people who unlike my family didn't choose to leave their home they didn't choose to immigrate to this different place it was forced upon them. Um, so I want to be able to welcome them into this community like I was welcomed in to a community and hopefully 20, 30, 40 years later they can look back and say, oh yeah, America does feel like home to me. Um, and I also just know what richness and depth can come from multicultural experiences um, and just living in a, a multicultural world where you're learning from other people who don't have the same worldview and the same bubble as you do. Awesome. That's, that's really cool. insightful. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, that's all we have today, folks. That's it. <laughs> that's the lesson, folks. No, <laughs> Nailed it. Bye, guys. Uh, wow. Well, that's, um, I, I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, we mentioned a couple episodes earlier. I also grew up overseas, mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm well aware that, uh, you know, the experiences people have are, are varied <laughs> uh, uh, depending on where they are and, and their families and all of that. But um, it's, it's always nice to hear that, that there are similar um, connections that are made uh, in that way. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you could briefly dive into, uh, I mean, uh, the, the concept of refugees is, is a very, very, you know, political one and very loaded. And I feel like we hear that word refugee just kind of in the political atmosphere a lot um and often people will maybe use it interchangeably with maybe immigrants or asylum seekers or really anything else um i, I wonder if you could give a definition your definition um of how of what you feel like a refugee is So you are right, there is a lot of misconception um, about um, refugees and people who are here on refugee visas. Um, I do want to, first of all, make the big disclaimer that refugees are um, documented. They are documented immigrants. Um, there's a lot of um, misinformation about how maybe refugees are not documented. The Refugee Resettlement Program is one of the most vetted visa programs that our immigration system has. Um, but what a refugee is, is a person who has been forcibly displaced from their home. So whether that's by um, war, whether that's by famine, natural disaster, they've been forcibly taken out of their home 
and their community and their country, and they've had to be removed to a secondary country. So actually, refugees who come to the United States, they have to be resettled in the secondary country first. For example, Syrian refugees um, may end up in a refugee camp in Jordan, where they then register with the UNHCR and um, the United Nations High Commissioner of Refugees, and then they um, can immigrate to the United States. So putting it all in one tiny box, a refugee is a person who's been forcibly displaced from their home and has nowhere else to go. Yeah, that's a very helpful definition. Yeah, I yeah, feel like there, there is so much misinformation about that. And mm -hmm. yeah, when people hear refugee, usually it's very politicized, very yeah. partisan, and um, which is really, I mean, I think we can all agree that that's really unfortunate and definitely doesn't help in, in your work, which is to, to resettle refugees. <laughs> what is interesting about what you just said, um, you said that it, it doesn't, it seems to be pretty bipartisan um, or it seems to be partisan. It's actually historically the refugee resettlement program has always been a bipartisan program. It's been yeah. supported by democratic and Republican presidents and democratic and Republican um, representatives on either side of the aisle. Yeah. Um, there's no arguing with the economical benefit of refugee resettlement, um, the safety of the whole process. Um, it hasn't really been until just the last couple of years that the entire idea of refugee resettlement has been ultra politicized. Yeah. Yeah, that's a recent development. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. That is good to be aware of. Um, yeah, it's just, there is so much misinformation. <laughs> it baffles me. But um, I'm curious if you, you know, you're working in this area every day, you know, this is what you're, you're doing, and this is kind of your, um, your bread and butter, so to speak. And, you know, you're immersed in this in a really unique way. So with even the, some of the things you just mentioned, but, you know, if you had every United States citizen we, we won't go as broad as the world just yet, but if you had every United States citizen, you know, in front of you and you were able to kind of communicate one, like one major thing about refugees or about the refugee visa program, et cetera, you know, what, and obviously one thing, it's really hard to narrow it down, but even just, you know, what would you want people to be aware of? What would you want people to know to help kind of counter some of that misinformation and partisan politicized craziness of it all? Yeah, what would you want people to know? Picking one thing is very hard. Um, I think that a lot of where this um, anti-refugee rhetoric is coming from is fear. I think a lot of it is fear-based. Um, so I really go into, and we can go into it if you want, I could go into the safety of the refugee resettlement program um, and the vetting systems that these refugees have to go through before coming to the United States. Yeah. Um, I could talk about economical benefit. I could talk about the, the, um, the societal benefit of how it's statistically proven that refugee communities are um, safer. There's less crime in communities where refugees are largely resettled and there's more um, commerce, there are more businesses being open, kids going to school, people buying houses. Um, but if I had everyone's here, very dangerous thing. Um, I think my biggest thing would be to tell them to go meet someone, go sit down face to face and talk to someone who has experienced this, talk to a refugee, go into their home, invite them into your home, sit down for a meal and hear their stories. 
Um, but more than that, see the, the personality, see how, how funny they can be, how um, brilliant and, and intelligent and powerful mm-hmm. these people are, and see them as humans as opposed to a statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is a lot harder to be scared of something when we've seen it face to face. Yeah. Um, and I know for a fact, there's no one in the world who could be scared of the clients that I work with. They are by <laughs> far um, some of the greatest, most resilient and wonderful people that I've met. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like people I'd want to be my neighbors. <laughs> sounds like a good neighbor to me. That's good. Um, well, so this this show uh, is about you know politics and political issues, but it's also very much about you know religious ideas and faith based issues, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, luckily those tend to overlap a lot more than most people are comfortable with. Yes. <laughs> um, so we have a lot to talk about. Uh, but I I would love to hear more about um, if you're comfortable sharing uh, maybe how your own faith has kind of influenced. Um, your work and your decision to go into working with refugees, um, or maybe how you've seen that that manifest in the faith of some of your coworkers, um, just kind of how how that uh, interacts with with your work. Um, so personally, I could just use the uh, the age old trope from people on my side of the fence that Jesus himself was a refugee, mm-hmm. which people get tired of hearing, but it's sure. true. It's very true. His family Facts. fled to Egypt. Yeah, it's from it, Asia it's to Africa. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they would even have been considered undocumented if you'd like to go that far. Yes. Um, too far. But uh, in all seriousness, um, when when I look at the red letters in the Bible, when I look at the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did, like barring the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible, when I look at Jesus, I see someone who was a constant advocate for um, people who are the underdog, people who are oppressed, um, people that polite religious society kind of turned their nose up at, didn't want around. Um, Jesus was someone who turned every societal education on its head, um, and he practiced wild, reckless, completely unhindered love and compassion and generosity. He didn't ask if people were safe. He didn't ask if they were worthy. He didn't ask if they were working hard enough. He didn't ask papers. He didn't ask what language they spoke. He just cared for people. Um, and you look at what he, what he says and you just, you see, you know, love thy neighbor. It doesn't say love thy neighbor as long as you're not uncomfortable or inconvenienced. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you. Like if someone hits you, let them hit the other side of your face. And so when I see Christians specifically, because I can't speak to other religions, um, but when I see people who practice the same faith that I practice turning their back on the refugee crisis, I see a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus, Jesus never showed any, any fear of other people. He never showed fear of, of letting someone in. Um, I feel like, um, Nadia Boltzweber, one of my very favorite, very controversial authors, pastors. Very time, good author also. Um, <laughs> once said that anytime we draw a line between ourselves and others, um, that Jesus is always standing on the other side of that line. 
Um, and I think about that all of the time and I have to catch myself doing that. But when I see Jesus, I don't see fear. And when I see people making excuses not to let refugees in or even, even um, assist them after they're here, I just, I see people who are afraid. Um, and it's something I've had to work through a lot in my religion, but my personal faith just teaches me not to be scared. And it teaches me to champion people and make space for people um, who could be so powerful and so good for us as a society if we just give them the space, if we just create a space for them and hand them a microphone and let them have a voice. That makes sense. It's a lot of rambling. No, that was, that was very coherent. <laughs> that was good. Uh, it's, I, we're getting a little dangerous here. It sounds like we're promoting a, an anti-fear agenda, which is always... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Might get canceled. What is this, episode four, episode five? <laughs> we're already canceled. For it's perfect. Uh, yeah. No, of course. I, I told you not to let me talk. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly why. No, people want to hear, you know, voices <laughs> other than the two of us. So yes. I, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, and I think even I'm curious in the idea of religion, you know, so in your own, that's your own kind of personal worldview and how that influences that. And that's, I think, very well said. Um, so how do you see, um, you know, the, with some of the families that you work with and some of your coworkers, in what ways does religion kind of play a role in their life? I know a lot of times, you know, most of the world is actually religious, um, mm -hmm. so a lot of these people are coming to the United States and they have their own religious traditions. They have their own worldviews. Um, and so, yeah, what does that, what does that look like? How does religion play? Obviously, you know, uh, the work you do is not like inherently, it's not a religious nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So you're not, you know, you're not wearing like a cross and handing out Bibles to people every day. <laughs> but you're working with people who have different faiths and, you know, both mm -hmm. serving people and working with people. So how does that, yeah. What does religion look like in kind of your day to day? What is that all about? Um, it's been really great to watch um, specifically with my coworkers. I do work for a non-religiously affiliated organization. Um, so I have coworkers who are Christian. I have coworkers who are Muslim. I have coworkers um, who um, don't particularly practice any sort of um, religion, but we all have this one common goal and focus, and that is to love and serve people. And it's really, really beautiful to see how their beliefs play into that and their beliefs push them in that direction of service and of compassion um, and of advocacy. And to be able to connect that with, with how my religion pushes me and to be able to once again say like we really aren't that different after all like we have so much more in common than society and politics and the media and people would like us to believe and so it really does show a lot of commonality and as for my clients that i serve well we have people from every religion you can think of who come through our doors and the biggest thing that we have to remember is that so many refugees are displaced due to religious persecution and can be persecution from any religion. Um, so being able to keep our faith personal and separate from our work is a huge respect to our clients because I don't want to be 
walking around saying, well, I'm a Christian and I go to church and you could go to this church and you should try that church. Number one, I would get fired. Um, but number two, <laughs> not respecting the people that I'm serving, that's serving them with an agenda on my end. Hmm. So it's important to me to be able to look at them and say, what do you want? What do you need? How can I best direct you to a community and to a spiritual community that will support you and that will give you what you need? And then I direct them to a mosque in their neighborhood or a temple in their neighborhood or a church in their neighborhood. So just remembering that um, God calls me to serve, but never with an agenda, never, ever with an agenda to, to try and force my beliefs onto other people. And I see that with my other colleagues as well. Yeah. Yeah. I find that interesting. You can be able to, being able to observe, um, you know, your work environment just a little bit from the outside. It is really cool that you do have that mix of people from different backgrounds because you're also serving people from different backgrounds. And so, you know, for people that are looking for connection in a religious way, where that is something there, that's a huge value they have. You have people that are able to connect with them in that way. Um, mm -hmm. But then also, yeah, when, when someone's coming from our country being persecuted because of what they believe, you can also, you know, you can also just like pause that for a second and say, Hey, let me love you as a person first hmm. and then kind of figure out the religiosity, you know, as yeah. the relationship and kind of continues. Coming from a trauma informed perspective, you don't ever want to re-traumatize people, even by just yeah. mentioning personal beliefs. Yeah. Um, you want to be a safe, nonpartisan third party. Hmm. Yeah. But it's cool too that, you know, there are churches that partner with what you guys are doing and there are, you know, non in other NGOs and community organizations, all of which can rally behind this mm -hmm. because they recognize that, Hey, this is, this is a, a cause that matter. These are people that matter and that we want to be a part of our community. Um, so, you know, the main oh, our organization could not run without our religious partners for sure. And yeah. in the Midwest that, is predominantly Christian churches. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very, very important to have those partnerships. And I deeply appreciate religious circles who can put aside, you know, most people say, oh, well, if you're not a religiously affiliated organization, I don't want to support you. But to have groups that put that aside and say, like, we want to support you and the work that you're doing for human beings is, mm -hmm. um, it's very inspiring and, and gives me a lot of hope for religious communities. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, um, I have so many questions. <laughs> uh, I'll, 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 I'll pick a good one. <laughs> Only good ones. <laughs> now, now, now it's got to be a good one, right? Yeah. I'll let you know uh, if it's bad. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not uh, well, answering that. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear, uh, especially for, for those of us who are religiously affiliated and uh, in the Midwest that tend to be uh, a Protestant Christian, um, what, what are some ways that you feel like we could really get involved um, in, uh, you know, just, just doing what we can to help, uh, to help people who seem uniquely vulnerable. Um, they're in a position that um, most people wouldn't ever want to be in. Um, and uh, having been called to, uh, serve and care for and, and lift up the people who are vulnerable and, and, and open to exploitation. How, what, what would be some good ways to get into that um, that wouldn't necessarily like glorify us, but, but really just kind of help those people? 
And one big thing is to find organizations in your area, um, resettlement agencies or immigration agencies, or I mean, any sort of um, group that is working with people who would be considered um, less fortunate than you, if you'd like to put it that way, um, and just seeing what their needs are. That's the biggest thing is we have so many people coming to us with um, completely, with completely self-centered um, requests. Like we want to host this big party for all of your clients so that we can take all of these pictures and post them on our website. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be very careful that you're looking at the organization's needs and that you're asking them what you can do for them. And sometimes it's something as um, unglorified as cleaning out their storage area or um, making a clothing donation or just doing something small that just helps them continue their day-to-day -day activities. But I would really encourage anyone who can to enter into programs that they might have um, that connect you directly with the people that they serve. So my organization has um, a youth mentoring program. They have a program where you can be a welcoming family for a family that um, has just arrived. So that connects you directly with that family and you do, there are some parameters, there are some things that we expect from you and some things that you can expect from us. But the biggest thing is connecting our clients to a member of the community who is willing to show them around, who's willing to teach them how to grocery shop and who's willing to teach them how to get a library card and who's willing to just be a friendly and welcoming face saying like, we want you here. We're glad that you're here. Let me help you adjust. Let me help you with your homework. Let me help you pay your rent, not monetarily speaking, but writing a check can be really hard sometimes. Sure. So it's really important to do what the, the organization needs from you, but I also would encourage anyone to connect as face-to-face -face as possible because it will be so important for the people that you're connecting with, but more importantly, for, for you to be broadening your experiences and broadening your mind and learning from someone who you may never have spoken to otherwise. Mm. Mm. Thank you. That's big. Yeah, that's big facts. Um, yeah, that's really good. And I'm, I'm grateful that, um, you know, that you've encouraged me to do those types of things too. And that that's been a cool opportunity for me. I mean, just as someone who, was largely ignorant to a lot of that um mm -hmm. to be able to get involved and to be able to connect and meet people um who are refugees and are you know new neighbors here has been really awesome it's definitely changed my perspective on things and yeah so i couldn't i couldn't recommend everything you just said it's like a quote from never mind i'm not gonna quote that movie um <laughs> but everything you just said is exactly yeah it's exactly right um i'm curious we're, here we go. We're going to take a, a left turn here. Are we ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. Born ready. This is when the haters turn us off right here. <laughs> this is it. Um, <laughs> you know, a couple minutes, you know. I thrive on the haters. Bring it on. <laughs> yes. I've lasted this long. This is going to be it. <laughs> it's been a good run, boys. Yes. So we talked about some of the religious aspects, but I'm curious about the political aspects of yes. this. So like, I guess on a local level and then even on a national level and then even a global level, which mm -hmm. those are just really simple, you know, ways <laughs> to explain everything. But just in general, you know, what are some ways that politics, you know, plays into this and 
and both like how we vote as individuals, but also even the politics of, you know, what and politics in and of itself actually helps create the refugee crisis uh, at home and abroad. So like, it, I think it all actually stems a lot to religion and politics. So what's the political side of this and what are some things that, you know, that are important for us to know um, of how this, how this interacts with politics? Okay. <laughs> so going to choose my words very carefully. Um, <laughs> I think we can all admit that the current administration um, has a rather anti-immigrant stance. Um, but what is really surprising to me is to see how this administration has come for refugees. Because as I've mentioned before, um, before the last couple of years, this has never been a partisan issue. This has never been something that has been pushed um, as something that could be bad or dangerous or something that one side or the other wants. Um, presidents on both sides have been very pro-refugee. And so it's been really interesting to see um, how that's shifting. Um, mm. It's been really, really tough. I picked a really hard time to go into this, um, but really I also did. think it's a very important time. Uh -huh. Um, just to give like a concrete example, mm -hmm. speaking, the refugee resettlement program um, has always let in about 100,000 refugees per fiscal year. So there's this thing called the presidential determination, um, which truly is set by the president themselves. They do have to theoretically um, consult with Congress before setting this number, but they set a number for the fiscal year that allows a certain amount of refugees to resettle in the United States. It's the cap. That is the highest that you can go for that year. Um, and normally that's around 95,000, 95 to 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. However, that number has been set lower and lower since about 2017. Mm. And last year, the presidential determination was set at 18,000. So we're talking wow. from 100,000 people to 18,000. That doesn't even fill a football stadium. And that's, that's for the whole country. Yeah. For the whole country, okay. the entire country. And this also includes people on special immigrant visas. So like um, Iraqis who have assisted the U.S. military and may need to re relocate due to that. Mm. Um, so this is, this is a, a, an astronomically low number that has decimated not just not just people's lives people who have been waiting for five six seven ten years to see their family to be reunited with loved ones to be in a safe and thriving environment but it's also decimated refugee resettlement agencies yeah. um, i'm lucky to work for an agency who kind of saw this coming and who was prepared more or less financially um, but we took a huge hit um, mm. and, and it seems to be the idea that in the future if there are no refugee resettlement agencies even if we do have an administration who is pro-refugee who increases that number if there are not agencies who've been able to survive this drastic of a cut then there will be no one available to resettle them here in the united states and i think mm. that would I know, let me rephrase, I know that would be 
devastating to us as a country and to our economy and and to our sense of reality and our sense of of being a country that that welcomes people of different creeds and different backgrounds who who can call themselves a melting pot so i might be getting into dangerous territory here i'm going to back off a little bit but rock said that that's okay affect my job yes <laughs> that's a throwback i just i just dated myself you with did. that reference but what i didn't hear you what was that School, schoolhouse rock great american I melting had... that was my jam oh, yeah. you remember oh, right yeah yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> but anyway, before sorry, uh, I totally before, derailed, before Seth completely derailed everything. <laughs> no. I'm just trying to do my job. Before we start singing Conjunction Junction. Oh man. No. Yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, I, I um, yeah, I, I think what you've showed us is that uh, there's very real impacts on on how we vote. Yeah. Uh, and that it, it seems really important, uh, if nothing else, just to pay attention mm -hmm. to the rhetoric people are saying and to the policies uh, that they're proposing and that people are voting for. Um, 2020, if you haven't heard, happens to be an election year. Oh, so wait, really? Uh, on top of everything else. On top of everything else, on top of the <laughs> world ending and hundreds of thousands of people dying. Uh, also an election year, which everyone loves and cares about, right? Doesn't add to the stress at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, well, I, I love it, but I'm also insane. So <laughs> you also uh, have a degree in this. I do. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I think bare minimum, uh, it's, it's easy to just research and to find out, uh, how, uh, your elected officials are voting on this thing, yeah. um, how they care about this thing. Uh, Please be an matter. educated voter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, crazy. Crazy idea. <laughs> and uh, don't just listen to the politicians. Yes. Look, yes. It's so easy to look it up. It's so yes. easy to find credible sources that have been fact-checked that are not biased. And yes. Just voting for. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and I think setting aside uh, your party preference and the the party of your officials. Um, you have a responsibility to hold them accountable. Um, and it's very easy to do that, especially in an election year. If you have an incumbent mm -hmm. running for office, mm -hmm. you can just Google their name and how they voted. And I promise you some, some reliable sources will show up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it seems like that's something that, that can really have an impact politically. Yeah. Well, and if you want some sort of, I guess you could call this proof that really... <laughs> people across the aisle are pro-refugee. Um, there's a, uh, an executive order that said that states could choose whether or not they wanted to resettle refugees, even though this is a federal program, they have said that states can opt out of resettling refugees. Um, and the vast majority of states responded very quickly, including stereotypically conservative states like Utah and the great state of Missouri, um, that, quickly just said like, no, we want, we want refugees. They are um, extremely vital to the workforce. They're great for communities. They're very beneficial economically. Yeah. Um, and so when you're hearing all of this fear-based rhetoric and all of this othering, I really, I would really encourage people to look at the history of this program, of the refugee resettlement program, as well as how elected officials on both sides have historically 
viewed this program. I think it'll give you a much clearer picture mm. of refugees mean for our communities and for our country. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, um, well, one statistic that always sticks with me, um, and I think is really helpful, um, is, you know, the truth that you, and you've mentioned already the economic impact. I think a lot of people assume or hear rhetoric about the economic impact being negative, but actually there are people think a lot of times the, the assumption is, okay, it costs a lot of money for us to resettle refugees. Like mm. There's so much money. We're paying all these taxes. Mm. And if we were to take more refugees, it would cost, but actually, and you, Emma, you can, you can provide more nuanced statistics on this, but from my understanding, the taxes that refugees pay as resettled United States citizens actually pays for residents. well beyond what it costs to well, and they they ultimately resettle them. I mean, broadly and, speaking, there there's a, a greater economic output and from, a greater economic output by the commerce that they bring. Yeah. But even if you just take it at like a bare bones value, they're paying more taxes than it's costing us, you know. And so even that one hundred percent. Yeah, even if if every refugee just came to this country and didn't get a job and didn't do anything, the taxes they're paying is covering the cost. And they also, yeah, the statistics of, like you already mentioned, the crime and violence and um, commerce and business and economy and employment, education. all of that is, and education is all improved in communities that have refugees. 100%. Um, I mean, the Department of Health and Human Services just recently released a study showing that in the past decade, refugees have generated $63 billion more in government revenues wow. um, than they ever cost. Wow. And I really do want to dispel the myth that like our taxpayers, our tax dollars are bringing refugees here. Um, refugees pay for their own plane tickets, mm. for their own plane tickets. They have to repay that once they arrive. And as soon as they arrive, within months, they're looking for jobs and they're paying into our tax system and they're paying for their health care, and they are opening businesses. If you've ever eaten at a Burmese restaurant, I'd oh, yes. complain ever again about <laughs> the population in Indianapolis. Shout out to Kimu. If you live in Indianapolis, go to Kimu the greatest restaurant you will ever, ever eat at. Um, but that all that to say is the economical benefit, and I hate saying this, I hate yeah, it does feel saying like dollars and cents, like if you bring more refugees, you get more money. We should be doing this because it's the right thing. Right. <laughs> that being put aside, the mm -hmm. economic benefit far outweighs anything we could ever pay into this program. Mm, yeah. So let me just put that to rest right there. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. That's the tea. That's the tea. <laughs> We're all sipping the tea. We saved it for the end. That's good. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, Emma, for your yeah. Thank you. Awesome insight and your experiences. Um, any other you know final thoughts that you would want to share or inform people on about? Um, yeah, just how to be a good neighbor and good citizen and lover of all, especially those who are refugees. Oh, goodness. Final thoughts. <laughs> um, kind of like I said in the beginning, <laughs> don't knock it till you try it. That sounds terrible. But <laughs> go, go talk to people who have experienced different experiences than you. Go hear someone's story. 
and the resiliency and the sacrifice that it's taken for them to come here. And I, I can almost guarantee you that you would walk away saying, this is someone that I want in my country. This is someone that I want working side by side to make like this American dream come true. Because I mean, really that's, that's what we are. We, we are supposed to be a place for those who are downtrodden for those who need somewhere to 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 rest i mean that is that's what we are we're a place that's supposed to be giving people a second chance at life and we're all supposed to be working together towards this great dream and i just don't think that we can achieve that dream without refugee and immigrant communities obviously we can't yeah based on that we're built on that so go talk to some people go volunteer your local resettlement agency yeah sit down for tea with an 85 year old syrian grandma <laughs> you can't come out of you can't come out of that afraid of this anymore you can't come out of that with any fear or hesitancy yeah yeah i love that that makes me think of the first episode where we talked about patrick's experience in the middle east and kind of that idea that yeah have, meeting someone face to face and putting a face to something that is traditionally like just a quote unquote issue mm-hmm. will even if it doesn't change your maybe like opinion specifically it will change your perspective absolutely yeah, yeah. It'll probably change your opinion so that's awesome and that makes us more empathetic and yeah we need that's a little bit of that. yeah and i'm not saying you have to go just change all of your religious and political beliefs and you know switch from your red hat to your blue hat or your blue hat to your red hat but i am thinking that maybe not everything is black and white or red and blue or christian and non-christian mm. and that there's a lot of beauty in the gray areas that we tend to be really afraid of mm. wow i, I think that's a, a <laughs> fantastic way to end this yeah thank you <laughs> awesome thank you emma you're the best thanks guys i miss your faces Oh.